1: Say Three seconds. Gives it to DeRozan. DeRozan's fading. What a tough shot. And it goes.
2: DeRozan Look with up. plenty of time. It's
0: five seconds. DeRozan on the drive. It's hit from the corner. Van Fleet. Van Good. A two. The Raptors lead with 1.1 1. 1 to
2: play.
1: Matthew, how is it going?
2: <laughs> Mike, I you know, I don't know what is worse for me as like as a purely Raptors fan and as somebody who's a little bit of an outspoken critic of Dwayne Casey. The fact that the Raptors lost that Spurs game by so much in San Antonio or the fact that the Raptors have lost two games to the Detroit Pistons. Ugh.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we like to give the Pistons fans a hard time for it being a Raptor venue each time that Toronto goes to Detroit. But if the Raptors are losing the games, it really doesn't matter whose crowd is better.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, I it, it was funny there in that third quarter. And by the way, everybody, we're recording this like right after the, the, the game just ended there. But the crowd, the, the duel of the crowd was actually really interesting to me. And I like that. And I like that Detroit has kind of figured it out over the years, how to actually drown out the let's go rafter chance but i mean i i mean i have to say it was pretty dead even on um uh but i but but i just found that a little interesting there was a duel going on on the court and then a duel going on with who could be louder which is which is awesome
1: And fans on both sides really upset at the referees this was i'm not one who complains about the referees in terms of this game We'll talk about it a little bit later, uh, the impact it will have on the standings. To me, at this point in the season, the Raptors, it's more about process than results. So losing a game due to a poorly officiated game is okay because you're still having the process of playing well. Yeah. For this game, the refs were bad. I There's no other way to spin it. They were bad on both sides. Each team kind of was frustrated with the officiating. We saw... Zaza Pachulia get ejected from the game due to him arguing a call that was a pretty horrendous no call. And we saw Danny Green get a technical pass, Kyle Siakam get a technical. Mark Gasol, I thought, was going to get one for a while. There's five fouls on a lot of people on both sides. It was very closely officiated at times, very loosely officiated at others. I don't want to focus too much on it because, you know, that's not what's important for this team. They need to move on to other things, such as beating the Detroit Pistons and playing them well enough that the officiating doesn't matter. But it was very bad tonight.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, what the worst call was. I mean, you could also say that Pascal Siakam dunk miss was a bad call. But, I mean, the Zaza thing, I understand. You can't, like, touch the ref like that. So he got the the double text. But, I mean... I mean, I mean, I think I think the thing that bothered me the most was the inconsistency of the calls, right? Like, and like you, you you said it perfectly there, that at times it was tight and at times it's loose, right? Like, I feel I feel that like you know when good refereeing happens, it's not necessarily whether it's tight or loose, it's whether it's consistent, right? So if they're calling a tight game, players are going to adjust, right? And players are going to adjust those calls. And it, you're right, it kind of started out tight. Um, Drummond got some early foul trouble as well. Then it loosened up. It almost seemed like they were like, oh, a lot of the players have like two or three fouls. okay, let's loosen it up and now it's tighten it up again and then it got a little crazy. so I mean I mean it's tough for players, right It's tough for players to kind of know what to do and I think that's the thing that bothers me the most i don't I don't necessarily you know disagree when it's either tight or loose i mean unless it's belligerent and obvious that it should be a foul but it's the roller coaster that always bothers me
1: exactly it's it's the umpire that doesn't have a high zone or a low zone he's calling the place the balls and strikes all over the place for this game the one thing i will mention is the raptors seem really undone by coaching quite a bit and to me that starts with nick nurse nick nurse is one who gets pretty animated with officials pretty often he's gotten quite a few technicals this season i don't think dwayne casey was necessarily stoic in his reactions on the sideline but nurse's kind of unhinged attitude towards a ref seeps into the rest of the team in my opinion and i just don't know if that's the best kind of look for this team
2: yeah, yeah, I agree, especially when one of your two leaders, um, and Kyle Lowry is also a notorious uh <laughs> notorious complainer to the refs. Uh I mean I don't think I don't think there's a dead whistle where Lowry's not talking to a ref, you know? <laughs> like like uh like like, like I was just kind of counting it a little bit during the game here because I was just by myself watching it. So um but yeah, like yeah, I, I, I don't think so either, and especially in a tight playoff game. I do think it is a little bit better to be a little bit more composed and pick your spots, right? And I mean, Nick Nurse is a first-time head coach, and you know he's probably trying to—he's probably trying to earn the respect of the refs in some ways. You know, you never know, right? Because I mean, really, they see these referees all the time, right? But at the same time, you know, picking your spots is much is is much better in my opinion than just constant belligerence because obviously, you know, refs are human and eventually they're just going to be like, look, your team is complaining in my face, you're complaining in my face, you know what, you guys need to calm down, technical foul, right? And and and, and, and to be honest with you, that's what happens most of the time with the technical foul, right? It's, it, it's, it's, it's more of a warning to the team than anything else.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's more than... I don't worry as much about his impact on the officials is just when you're focused on the referees you're not focused on other things that you need to be doing and that's with the coach yeah with the coaching staff and the players as well if you're complaining about each call you're not working on your next defensive assignment and something that just seeps into the rest of the team and i don't think that's a process that you want to have started on a consistent basis with nurse yeah yeah yeah. moving on past this game and kind of just the results of this the Raptors are now three games back in the loss column to the Milwaukee Bucks. They have lost the tiebreaker after losing the series one to three. Is it time to give up on the one seed?
2: You know what? Uh, the, I, I actually texted that to a friend um, right after the game was done. In my opinion, in my opinion, I think that the second seed is pretty locked at this point, especially with the Raptors having the second easiest schedule in the NBA moving forward. Um, and I mean really how many big I mean again, we're going to preview it later, but how many big time games do they have left? I'm, I mean I can only really think of the Houston Rockets and then that back to back with the with the OKC Thunder right? So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of gimme games over the next over the next little while. so I, for me, I think, I think the focus should be on health, on chemistry, on lineups, um, and getting, getting that set in stone for the playoffs, right? Because you saw some of that. You've been seeing some of that over the last few games with, a you know, Ibaka was better tonight, but, you know, not his efficient self that he's been all season. And, you know, Jeremy Lin had a really, really tough game. And, you know, you can really just chalk that up to being new and trying to establish yourself a little bit too much. But I think, I think the second seat is pretty much is, is pretty much locked in at this point. I mean, unless something disastrous happens. Um, but yeah, I would. I mean, I mean, I would be focused on that, like just laser focused on the playoffs and really working with the team to make to work through any lagging industry, uh, injuries or you know anything like that. And then of course chemistry, playbook, all of those sorts of little things to be ready for the playoffs.
1: So right now the Milwaukee Bucks are forty-eight and fifteen. With 63 games, that means they have 19 games left. The Raptors need to gain essentially five places in the lost column. So if right. the Milwaukee Bucks went 14 and five. The Raptors would have to go undefeated. I, for one, don't think that the Bucks are going to go 14 and five. They're better than that and will win more games than that. And two, the Raptors aren't going to go undefeated the rest of the way. No team is. So you look at them; they're not catching the Bucks there. They're five games up on the Pacers. The Pacers aren't going to catch them and might lose a spot to the 76ers. At this point, the Raptors are pretty much locked into the two-seed. And like you mentioned, it's about process over results at this point. Make sure everyone's healthy. Get your team playing right. Kyle Lowry had a big game tonight, dropped 30-plus. His performance, the team is so kind of hinged on his performance that that game from Kyle Lowry means more than Al does at all.
2: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think Lowry, I think Lowry and for the most part Gasol's, um, performance were the two, like, big positives out of this. And, um, I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, you want to make a statement game, uh, on TNT on Tuesday versus the Houston Rockets, right? But that's more so of, like, a respect thing. But for me, I, you know, Mike, I completely agree with you. They are really just locked into that center thing. And I mean, to be honest with you, even 60 games isn't necessarily that important, right? I think, it, I, I mean, do, will they win 14 games? They can. So
1: you should have played Fred Van Vliet down the stretch in order to try to secure those 60 wins and have him possibly into your shoulder.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Shout out last season. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, really, if you're locked in, right, like, do you see, do you see the Pacers 76ers or Celtics winning over, winning over 20 games to I get? I certainly
1: don't see the Celtics winning,
2: yeah. Oh, oh, man. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. I don't know. Uh, they, they, they are, wow. What, what, what has happened, eh? But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, um, I think, I think that's what I, I mean, I mean, if you're there, you're there. Right, play the schedule and make sure you're, make sure your team gets the chemistry it needs.
1: One thing we saw tonight was Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka share the court together. What was your overall impression of this? Is this something that you expect to see during the postseason, or what were your thoughts?
2: I mean, I thought I thought it. Uh, they actually, if I'm not mistaken, again, we just were doing this right after the game. If I'm not mistaken, they actually did go on a mini run during that period. Um, but I think the matchup dependent. I, I, again, I think it's really matchup dependent, right? Um, I, I, I I wasn't surprised by it for this game because Ibaka can theoretically guard Griffin. It's not the best matchup, but I mean, if somebody need, like uh, Siakam had foul trouble and um, OG kind of needed a break, right? So why not get why not get another leader and another leader pillar of your team, right? Somebody you need to perform well to provide that supplementary scoring in there to kind of, to to see what happens. And um, I think it mostly works. Again, I think they're using Gasol really well. They're trying to get him, get him the ball so he can make moves and plays off of it, which is again, a new look for the team and provides a new dimension for it. And you know, the Portland and Boston game, especially the Portland game was a little bit better of a look for what Gasol can actually, um, you know, do and, and, and how the team can cut. But uh, I expect it to be very matchup dependent, and I mean, I'm to be honest with you, I'm kind of looking at the standings, and I don't see many teams where you could use that very much. So I think again, it's more of a sparing, you know, sparing uh, sort of sort of approach. Whereas Siakam, you know, he had foul trouble, so he couldn't be in there, and OG needed that break, so let's so let's try it. But ideally you know, run with the hot hand, whoever's running that night at the center position between Gasol and Ibaka.
1: This is something I wrote about just to plug my own thing here real quick. Uh, I actually wrote about it before this weekend on Friday, and my thought was pretty much the same thing that you just said. It's something that if there's foul trouble, if an injury happens, you can go to it in kind of an emergency situation, but it's not something that I would particularly use if just out of the bat, or out of the gate. I think it's something that you can kind of throw out as a last ditch. Well, I don't have many other options, but I don't foresee this as one of the lineups that you expect to use on a given basis.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, cause to be honest with you, um, I mean, I would start, I would start Gasol against the magic, against the nets, against the pistons, but I would start a against the Celtics. Um, I mean, 76ers, probably Gasol. Pacers maybe Ibaka. I mean, Miles Turner is kind of tougher than the Bucks. Probably, probably. I, I I don't know how you would start like Ibaka Gasol. It's a little it's a little tough against the Bucks as well. Who you yeah. would start? Well, I just
1: don't think when you're talking the main teams and you talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks you can't play Serge and Gasol together, or at least it no. will be kind of difficult. You can't play it against the Celtics certainly, and. I, I don't see it versus 76 Sixers either. So in terms of games that matter, you won't really see any of them out there. Uh, tonight, for the record, they played five minutes and had a net rating of zero. So they held their own. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of just basically what we talked about. They can survive for minutes out there, but I don't think it's going to be a staple of the Raptors' rotation anytime soon.
2: I do. the one The one concern that I do have is that I would like to see – a little bit uh, more efficiency out of Ibaka, and I think that just has to do with playing with the second unit and just kind of that shock to shock to the whole team there a little bit, where they kind of, they they need to adjust a little bit. Like the starters were so good at finding Ibaka in his spots, and I think that that's what was really working for him, right? Is that, and then that's what was part of his efficiency was he was getting those rolls to the hoop and he was getting those elbow mid range shots. And that's where he's going to be his most effective. So the uh, the bench, if he's going to be there some of the time, or most of the time, majority of the time, he needs to be able, to, or the the bench needs to rotate around him to help him get his spots because he can be in a really efficient scorer for them. And when we've seen the bench go through such big droughts, um, like we have, and I, I I would I would attribute a lot some of this loss to the bench for sure. Um, he you, you know he needs or they need to help him a little bit, I think, in that. In that.
1: Yeah, you know, Serge Ibaka is what they call kind of a parasitic big, and that's not an insult on him, but his game is very reliant on other players to get his shots. He's not a creator yes. in the post like Gasol is. He's more of a role man, and he can make mid-range jumpers and is a pretty good defender there, but he's not someone who's going to create his own look. So in that respect... It's very different than having Marcus Gasol, who's someone you can throw the ball to in the low block or in the mid post and allow him to work. So Serge has that going against him. Um, speaking of the bench and kind of the rotations that Nurse has been playing, do you think that Patrick McCall can make the playoff rotation for this team? He played tonight, and we saw pretty much the whole Patrick McCall experience in a couple of possessions, where he made a beautiful <laughs> defensive play where he came from another player, had the defensive awareness to pick the ball out of the post, and then came down on the other end and broke a wide open three in a just an absolutely hideous miss from the corner.
2: Yeah, I think I think he might be more of an insurance, uh, like first off of the ins- first off in insurance purposes because he is fast and he has proven himself to be very clutch in in some situations. I just feel that his, um, off. Maybe offensive limitations a little bit are gonna are, is what's gonna hold him back because for the most part he's playing good defense. Um, you know there's stretches where he's not, but uh, I think I think his three point shooting is a little subject, and um, and uh, he 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 just can't create much for himself, so teams can slag off of him a little bit or. Even worse, slag off of him so much that he that he's given those shots and we've seen we've seen the results which have which has been a mixed bag. So, for me, I mean, I mean only in spot situations or if someone is absolutely burning you in a playoff game and you just want to give that person a different look. I mean, sometimes that can turn a game around, right? Or get you a win is that random insurance policy that you just bring into the game to inject new life into it? The team hasn't scouted it as much. Let's, let's say it's game five or game four game six like those middle games that really define a series in many ways so i i i I feel like he i feel like he might be that insurance policy much like how norman powell has been the last few years
1: exactly he's and to be clear i don't think norman powell will serve that role this season no but but you're right he's someone he's attempting just about seven shots per 36 minutes which is very very low it's the lowest on the team by quite a margin it's three shots less than some of the other players and he, when he's out on the floor you're essentially playing four on five and when you get into the playoffs and teams are able to game plan on a night-to-night basis i just don't think that's a viable option the celtics are going to absolutely help off him, them and same with the bucks and 76ers and it's just going to be too difficult to score in my opinion if you have one player Who's essentially a complete zero out there?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm really hoping that the Raptors and Nick Nurse, especially from the coaching staff, have learned their lesson from the hockey rotation style of last year's playoff playoffs and really realize that you know this rotation needs to be cut at eight to nine um, players in there, and it can't be this wide open experience with so many different looks because. Event because eventually the teams are going to help off and we need to and we need to make sure that Kawhi finds rhythm, Gasol finds rhythm because um, Lowry finds rhythm and that's Yakum finds rhythm right because those are going to be your main pieces that are going to help you score and then and then of course Danny Green is going to oh sorry oh I, I I thought you were going uh, and that was your phone <laughs> yeah sorry about that yeah I know no, no no so yeah so, so but um you know and that's and, and, and I think, and I hopefully hopefully this team has learned too, especially from a coaching tactical perspective, right? Loose ends or, or players that you can slack off of are really going to affect the production of your starters, right? And your rotations.
1: He's a nice story. I think he will develop into a good player eventually down the road if he can ever figure out his jump shot. It's, it's 2019 and you can't play four on five on offense anymore. I wonder yeah. what would happen to Tony Allen if he played in today's nba the game just isn't the same way it used to be and teams will straight up ignore you if you can't play at all on offense
2: yeah and 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 i agree with you too i actually quite like uh macaw's potential um for the future hopefully it doesn't i mean if Kawhi stays fingers crossed that he doesn't end up in a bruno situation where he can't develop because the team is too good but I mean, I mean, playing, playing, you know, spot minutes or at least every single game for a really good team helps you, so develop. So, but yeah, he has a good, he has a good story and was a great find, especially since we got him like what December, January, like mid-season out of nowhere. And uh, and uh, I've actually, I've actually quite enjoyed watching him uh, on the team.
1: Thank you to the Cleveland Cavaliers who cost. Him to enter into unrestricted free agency by offering him that weird, unre- that unguaranteed contract and then cut him less than a week later.
2: One yeah, player- yeah, I forgot about that.
1: <laughs> One player who will not be in the playoff rotation, or at least it appears will not be, he still technically could be signed to another 10-day, is Jody Meeks. Jody Meeks has not been yeah. resigned after his initial 10-day contract. It's looking like the Raptors are going to part ways with him at this time. What are kind of your overall thoughts there?
2: Uh, it's it it's a tough one because I mean, a they I believe they actually do need to sign a player, right? They have um,
1: they have two weeks to sign their next player, but you have to have fourteen, yeah, uh,
2: and, throughout the season. Yeah, and um, and I'm assuming I'm assuming it might it might come down to a tax th- a tax thing we were talking about in the Raptors Raptors Slack group and Mike was breaking it down for us in terms of you know how much how much money. We can spend realistically without blowing the tax up. And, but for me, I just think that, you know, Jody Meeks, Jody Meeks was really going to have one role in a deep playoff run, right? Which is hit a three late or, or, or hit a big bucket three or just be another, or just be an option to stretch the floor. And I feel that they were worried about his defense being subject. Um, I don't feel like another team might pick him up, so maybe who knows? They're they're waiting to see what happens in the market. I just saw a tweet talking about Andrew Bogut and how contenders are interested in him, and who knows? Maybe the Raptors want insurance at the center position um, to just in case something happens. And I mean, he's a champion, right? Um, but for me, for me. I just think that, you know, the three-point shooting has been coming around recently. I know the first half of this Detroit Pistons game was not good from a three-point shooting perspective, but with, you know, Lynn Green, Norman Powell buried a, th- a few threes today, and OG is turning it around on the threes, except for that one he airballed right at the end of the game, um, I think that there's enough, enough three-point shooting to get, you through those, um, to get you through those periods where you might need one that... Jody Meeks becomes one too, too one dimensional to really help you at all.
1: This might not be the best for generating interest in this conversation, but to be frank, I don't think it really matters who the 14th person is. Oh. That they're just they're not gonna they're not gonna play at all. It really is a situation where Toronto has their roster decided, they have their rotation decided. So why do I want to, if I'm a Ujiri, why do I want to rack up a tax bill? with players who I know aren't going to play in the playoffs under really any circumstances. Right. So this doesn't shock me. They're probably going to wait the maximum two weeks. If they bring in Gortat, that's fine. You know, It probably would be helpful to have a third center on the roster in case of emergencies. But to be frank, this spot isn't going to play no matter who the Raptors bring in, so I'm not sure why it matters.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You're just like, who cares? Eris.
1: Yeah, yeah uh, probably not I, something you I should mean, be saying I, I, if you're covering the team, but it just this yeah. spot doesn't matter, really, and we can kind of talk about it, and I find it interesting to see who they're going to sign, but at the end of the day, this person is not getting in, in any situation, whether it's Jody Meeks or Andrew Bogut or Morsin Gortat. They're not going to make the rotation unless something catastrophic has happened with injuries, and if that's a scenario, then the Raptors aren't making it to the finals anyways.
2: I actually, I actually completely forgot about those Gortat rumors. Um, I just think it's hilarious that you know, Gortat was on a team in 2015 that swept the the Raptors and was like a huge part of that. and Now he's like a buyout guy. It really shows you how how quickly the game is uh, is evolving and changing, and how quickly those one dimensional, um, you know, big men are uh, are are get are playing themselves out of the league in many ways, which is which is interesting, but you know I mean, I mean i mean i think all of the options that we're t- talking about are fine right um but i i mean if i had a preference a third a, thir- a third big center probably would be your best result and gortat would probably be a good one to have just because he's been playing in the nba this season at least and knows the players knows their tendencies a little bit it's played against the you know players that he's going to match up with against um however i would hate to see him play against someone like the bucks and brooke lopez who has just transformed his game uh would probably like you know bury him alive
1: sure i if if things really get to worse and say gasol sprains his ankle during the second series i pascal siakam is going to be the team's backup center i i just don't think that they're going to say hey Marcin gortat come in with your goatee and try to save the season right now it's To me, it's going to be Pascal who plays backup center If anything were to happen from injury So you're right, it probably makes sense to add a center Just due to only having two at the position right now And, you know, Pascal's not a natural backup But I, I just don't see that person getting in really no matter what And if it's Andrew Bogut, Andrew Bogut hasn't played in years I really don't think that that's an option either
2: yeah, yeah. I just think anyway, well, it's just funny because I um uh the I, I don't know if you saw that tweet there, but I guess in what in the Australian League he won a Finals MVP and Defensive Player of the Year or something like that, and 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 contenders are interested. Was basically it. I don't I I don't know if we tweeted it out from the Raptors Rapture account or who tweeted that out, but yeah, but yeah, again, not going to help very much, right?
1: We've talked about pretty much everything as far as standings and things like that. Matt, is there anything that changed about the Raptors in the past couple of games or so that you've noticed or anything that's kind of jumped out to you?
2: You know, it's interesting. I've been really thinking about the losses versus the wins, um, because the wins like over the Celtics and over, um, I mean, even in the Portland win, were very, um, uh, we're, we're, we're very impressive, right? Whereas the losses have been slightly disappointing, especially that Orlando loss. And for me, I think that that's really had come down to preparation, right? Like, I mean, like let's like like let's not lie. Teams are preparing for, um, you know, certain certain teams more than others, right? And the players are more amped up for more than others. So I think that's why a loss like uh, the one tonight. Maybe doesn't get me as like shook as it would in the past. And that's because I'm, I feel like I trust the players and the coaching staff a little bit more to be more prepared, right? Like they were locked in prepared. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew They, 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 they had an extended game plan for that Boston, for the, for the Boston win, right? And even for the Portland win, even though that was a, a close game and CJ McCollum, who's just, just having a great few weeks, right? Is they, 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 they ran into a, a hot player, and sometimes when you run into a hot player, it's going to be a close game no matter what, right? Which is why I'm really interested to actually see their next game against the Houston Rockets, right? Because that's a, a again another big game, another nationally televised game. Um, you know, they seem to be getting up for those games, and Houston's playing well as well. So, how are they? Are, like, are they going to be more like Are they going to be more prepared, more locked in? Definitely, right? And I think that that's what is exciting me about playoff series is that. When 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 the team has the time to just game plan scheme and focus on 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 one team, they've been very 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 um, uh, impressive, right? And those have been their most impressive wins of the entire season. So I'm actually not too worried, um, you know. Oh, we could we we could talk about who would you rather play the the Pistons or the Orlando Magic, <laughs> um, but uh, but but I'm finding it a little interesting that uh, you know you know the first round series are actually uh, you know a little bit more interesting because the Raptors have had a few losses against some of those teams, and what's also a little interesting I'm finding is that they are struggling a little a little bit against large. Um, ball dominant centers, right? In Jokic and in, uh, I mean, it, Drummond wasn't as a, Drummond wasn't as impactful today, but he has been in the other ones. Um, and gosh, who was Go it Vucevic, yes. Vucevic. That was the other one I was... Or, or, sorry, who did I say? I said Jokic, didn't I?
1: Yeah, but we're 0-2 against the Nuggets as well, so it yeah, works. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. But, sorry, Vucevic was the other one. That's what I was trying to say. So, that's, that, that's actually something uh, I've been finding very interesting, is that, is that they've been struggling against those sorts of teams.
1: They don't come prepared to play every night, and as frustrating as that can be as a fan, and we all want our teams to be focused, and it's perhaps not realistic to expect an 82-game season to expect the team to be focused in on every night. And you saw the expansion Raptors beat the 72-win Bulls. And it's any given night in the NBA, it's a make-or-mess league. And when the Raptors are really dialed in, we see a different team than we do on games like tonight, especially when Kawhi's not playing.
2: Yeah, and and it's actually – I'm checking the schedule here because I'm actually interested – because they play the – Pistons again on the uh, 17th, right? So, or sorry, on St. Patrick's Day. So, the games before the game before that is against the Lakers, but it's like it, like they play the Lakers on the Thursday and then they don't play again until the Sunday, and then and then and then it's a back to back with the Knicks. So, which game do you think they're they're going to be more prepared for? I feel like it might actually be the Pistons and that they're actually going to. You know, beat them good. So, and especially if that's a back to back, Kawhi will probably play the top end of that back to back, not the not uh, not the back half. So, I feel like the Raptors are really going to want to try to make a statement against the Pistons next. Or uh, the Pistons next time. So, I'm I'm going to be interested interested to see how that is, especially since it's back in Detroit as well.
1: That's a great point. All right, Matt. Last thing here, it is teach Mike Canada. <laughs> I am going to inquire about. The Canadian geography, and essentially that all your country lives at ninety percent of the country lives at the border.
2: Right. Why is that?
1: Because it's cold, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah. So it's you you know it's interesting, right? Canada Canada is a very you know like like you said bottom heavy half, right? Like most of our population actually lives right in that little bend in the Ontario um, in the Ontario, like, like map. So, which is of course, closest to the United, closest to the United States. Right. And it really does have to do with the cold. Um, if you look at the temperatures in, in Iqbala, and, and none of it, the Northwest, uh, or sorry, Callaway is in none of it, none of it, Northwest territories in the Yukon, which are three provinces, right? Like they're virtually always frozen. And, um, you know, it's interesting that, um, uh, for example, some countries are claiming that we can't claim that some of that territory up top and none of it. I've, we've been talking about that, that like they're saying that those are just open open uh, waterways. But that's really the reason why, right? You can't you can't you can't expect to be always living in the cold. Or why is anyone going to live there? You actually get paid um, uh, huge amounts of money to live in places like Iqaluit. and you can look on the map, Mike, where Iqaluit is. But it's essentially in the middle of nowhere, but it's the capital of one of our territories called Nunavut, and it is, <laughs> yeah, it is. Who it, came it, up with these names is what <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> well, it, well, so, so, um, uh, of Nunavut, that very, it's very Inuit heavy, um, uh, oh, okay. area and it's, it, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, um, you know, much like, uh, much like how there's areas of the United States that are very, um, very focused on the, uh, or, or very steeped with like Native American um, sort so, sort of sorts of history. Mm-hmm. This it's it's very very Inuit focused, so that's part of the reason why. But um, yeah, the real reason why people live there is because at least at, at least at least you get like six or like five months of warm here, compared to Iqaluit where you maybe get like one month of warm. <laughs> so that's really the reason why. And like Alberta will go down to minus. 40 celsius all the time right so like it gets it gets cold and it especially in those middle provinces of alberta saskatchewan and manitoba you know once you get too far north right um like especially in places like calgary it gets cold right and if you look at where winnipeg Regina, and edmonton are it's close to the border and the reason why is because i ain't living up that 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 <laughs> far it's cold it's remote and there's nothing there so so yeah yeah canadian geography